Hey, Sarah. Yes, Josh? Are you ready? I think so. Great. But before we start, we here at the Puppa Pod, along with Dixon Place, stand with love in solidarity with Black, Indigenous, and persons of color in our communities and across the country against racism, white supremacy, and police brutality. And for more information and specifics on our respective anti-racism statements and plans of action, please visit DixonPlace.org and ShakeOnTheLake.org to find out how we're listening, learning, and working within our communities. Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Peace, world. My name is Jigetto, and puppetry is magic. Boom. <laughs> puppetry is hard because there are so many different styles of puppetry to choose from. Hello, hello again, humans across the world, because I have no doubt everyone in every country is listening to The Puppet Pod. Welcome, my name is Josh Rice, and I'm so thrilled to have this worldwide audience listening to this podcast about something so tiny and small, the world of contemporary puppetry for adults. Boy, oh boy, Sarah, isn't that lofty to expect this worldwide audience? Uh, lofty. I thought this was kind of the general goal. Oh yeah, we have the dominate. Olympics committee team watching. <laughs> That's exactly or right. listening. We have I don't know. We have other people listening. Film, TV executives. You That's know, right. The United Nations. They're on board. I mean, we mm-hmm. we are growing, growing the audience, Sarah. It's uh, true. And for for those that don't know, this is our wonderful co-host Sarah Stabley. Sarah, um, how are you hanging in? Oh, I'm I'm doing all right. You know, it's it's sunny. Mm. Uh, my bike is in pieces. I don't have a oh, car no. yet, but everything's great. <laughs> I get my car tomorrow, though, so that's the good thing. There you go. There you go. The joys of buying a new automobile. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you you found one finally that fits your your personality, your lifestyle. Yeah, it only has three wheels. Uh, some of the windows are cracked, and you know the AC doesn't work. So it'll be that fun. sounds just like kidding. the perfect car for a podcaster. Yeah, it's actually just going to be like a glorified sound booth for the for the podcast. No, I, nice. yeah, <laughs> I got a little um, VW kind of crossover SUV. So I'm very excited. It'll be really fun. Um, shout out to VW if anyone's listening again, because they probably are from yeah. Volkswagen. We'll take a sponsorship, you know, feel free to, uh, you know, pay us for that free advertising. It'd be great. It's true. All right. Well, um, enough about this jibble-jabble riff-raffing around, Sarah. We have uh, an incredible guest joining us today, an artist who has done so many incredible things in his career, and uh, I'm just so pumped and thrilled that he's with us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jigetto is here. Jigetto, how are you? I am fine. Thanks for inviting me to the Puppet Pod. What's up, world? <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, puppets. Yeah, man. And grown uh, folks. <laughs> puppets for grown yeah. folks. That is that's the new title. That's, that's the, the slogan. Title of puppets the podcast. for grown folks. <laughs> I got a million of them, man. Need an idea? Just hit me up. <laughs> so, how are things going for you? You're beaming in from North Carolina, is that? Yes, right? Chapel Hill. 
right in the awesome. right smack dab in the middle of the state. So it's All it's right. awesome. Yes, uh, North Carolina is like a miniature California because I go east, the oceans there. I go west, mountains. That's uh, so, so nice. It's pretty awesome. Perfect weather. It's a beautiful state. I love North Carolina. I've never heard anyone describe it as a miniature California, but that is apt in a lot of ways. I like that description. Yeah, Ash. Oh, Asheville is just drop dead gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love Asheville. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I mean, life is good besides the pandemic. Yeah, um, everything yeah. is home based now. You know, when the the virus dropped, I was on my way to uh, Seattle to do a, a festival, and the city was shut down the day before I was supposed to fly out there. So oh. that was, it was pretty, uh, yeah. It was, it was pretty crazy. So, you know, as everyone else's, the gigs, you know, just, uh, what is that, a domino effect of, of the cancellation. Yeah. But then a good thing happened. The people started contacting and said, you know what, can you just send us a video? Yeah. And, you know, we'll pay you the same price. I'm like, Okay, so I invested in some green screen stuff and got a new iPad. And off to the race, I just converted my whole operation into video. That's so an I'm, exciting. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a videographer now, I guess. Yeah, you become a yeah. uh, a cinematographer, amateur. Yeah, you have to adapt. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, you know, I have my. Uh, it's a family operation, so my teenager, uh, Divine, he's seventeen. He does a lot of filming for me. And, uh, you know, my uh, 12-year-old is a puppeteer, so it's like the uh, the trilogy, just knocking out videos. That's really cool to have that family yeah. connection. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because my, my teenager, he's in the theater. He's an actor. So he always wanted to be on the other side of the camera. So this is his opportunity. That's so awesome. Yeah. What is it like for him to direct dad? He holds back. I'm like, dude, if you need me to do something, just tell me. He said, right. Dad, could you like, dude, you're directing. Tell me to shut up if I'm talking too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Move left, move right. Like, you're the boss right now, you know? I was like, I need to know what you see, so, you know, be direct. Direct, you know? <laughs> <laughs> be direct and direct. <laughs> so, and it's funny, my 12-year-old has the eye that I'm looking for because, you know, he's, since three or four years old, he's been along, you know, by my side. So he knows the angles and what puppet film looks like and it's just like oh my god that's such a good idea so i asked his feedback too so it's just a it's a good operation man i couldn't be happier what a cool thing to have that all in the family yeah that is lucky yeah man this is crazy that's very cool did you ever feel like as you were getting into this weird world that you'd be like man i'm gonna start a family band but instead of a band it's gonna be puppets but i had no idea yeah, and then, you yeah. know, the, the puppetry world is is tiny as well. So, like, once you go to a festival, you've met everybody. Yeah, uh, right. It's like, <laughs> and then puppeteers are so so humble and modest, you have to, like, pick their brain to, to see their, their body of work. Because yeah. um, I met uh, Philip Hubert. You know, the Being John Malkovich movie is, like, the main reason why I started doing puppetry. Yeah. I spent the weekend with the guy. Didn't know who he was, but he's the one who jumped part of my career. So I get home and see a post where he's on the pod. I'm like, you're Philip Huber. So I like email him like, dude, like you're the reason I started this. And I had no idea, you know, I'd have been way more in your face. And you know, 
than I already was if I knew that you were the big dumb mafia guy. So, yeah, it's it's like the top puppeteers of the world. Like we're all just one big happy family, and I'm just so honored and humble just to be pulled in and be considered, you know, part of that that family. Yeah, you know, that's I'm, awesome. It's, it's pretty crazy because I, I went to the uh, the national festival in Minneapolis last summer. And I'm just so excited to meet people. And like, we're coming up to each other like, you know, hey, hey, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, I'm supposed to be the groupie, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, it's just, yeah. I guess I'm a part of the family. That's awesome to hear. I'm curious then for you and for people that don't necessarily know, like, what is your, I always like asking it this way, what is your origin story that kind of like moved um, you into this world? <laughs> yeah. I, it feels that way. <laughs> Uh, well, my origin story, uh, lifelong artist. I've always uh, worked with recycled materials. Even when I'm painting, I use uh, plywood, lawn wood, perfect, uh, murals, sculpting. I, I just, anything I get my hands on, I've done it. That's why puppetry is so perfect for me because I can still do all these different art forms and just claim one discipline. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, doing these miniature sculptures out of wrapped wire. And one day something just said, make it move. So I covered it with clothes, put joints on it. And I was uh, hosting a open mic at a gallery that I worked at. It was part of an artist collective called Bridge Spotters at my hometown of Pittsburgh, PA. So I, the reaction was uh, different, you know, because there's a billion uh, painters. There's a trillion spoken word artists, you know what I mean? So this puppetry allowed me to, you know, flip the script and come with a, a niche that nobody had. Yeah. So I started doing that. But I'm on my lifelong uh, a barber. A lot of people don't know that. I've been a barber for over 20 years back in Pittsburgh. So every time I try to, you know, quit and do something else, my clientele was like, no, like you've been cutting my hair for like 10 years. You know what I mean? You're going to be my barber. <laughs> so when I moved to North Carolina, I got to reinvent myself. No one who knew who I was. So that's how I got to really dive into this puppetry thing. I started doing um, street busking at a restaurant that I worked at. So it developed the following to the point where the crowd in front of the restaurant was so big they were blocking the entrance. So, you know, then Facebook came out. Then I would post when I was uh, going to show up and the crowd was there, the tip box was filling up. I had a couple other artists help me out. A director of a, a local theater called uh, Paperhand, he seen my work and he invited me to uh, build a show with him. And, you know, we had that relationship. And then the, you know, the commercials and the Miss Elliott thing happened while I was, uh, I was teaching at the time at a school of special needs. So actually uh, would bring puppets in for a motivator. You know, we had a, uh, a reward system, like a point sheet. And if you got three strikes, you know, you lost privileges. So I seen that the puppets were actually motivating kids to, you know, get their work done and, you know, modify their behavior. So I would bring in puppets and uh, kids, I would give them 10 minutes out on the playground to, to work with puppets and that caught on. Um, I built a uh, puppet to teach a uh, special needs curriculum. So yeah, it's, it's, always, it's always been in the background but it never grabbed me like, hey, this is what you want to do. Because even before I started building puppets, I was uh, doing martial arts practitioner. And my coach started a lion dance team. And I was actually on a, a, a Chinese lion dance team for two years. Wow. Yeah. And that 
is a puppet. I didn't realize till I left and he knew that I was growing my hand. So he volunteered me to maintain the, the lion head. So, you know, the, the eyes blink and the ears blink. So things would come off. So I would fix that. Meanwhile, I'm fixing a giant puppet. And I didn't even realize it till, you know, <laughs> I had left. So, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So the Muppet Show, of course, Sesame Street. But I was always a fan of the art. Yeah, yeah. I think similarly, I, I got into it a little late in the game. Like I always was aware of the Hensons and, and you know, mm -hmm. the Muppet Show was, you know, I, one of my favorite things to watch I as too. a kid. When, when, um, what was that, Gonzo, when, uh, or Miss Piggy was smack, smack him across the room, the wall, that was magic. <laughs> like, yep, yep, yep. Loved it. Loved the two guys on the balcony talking trash and everybody. Yep, <laughs> Stetler and Waldorf just talking <laughs> yeah. shit, talking That's shit. All, they they did it the best. Yeah. <laughs> but then um, I got into science fiction as well, and didn't realize that most of the effects were just puppets. Yeah. And they would, you know, little effects over that, but like the movie Alien, the the Queen. Oh my god! Don't get me started. It's just that, I mean, then the 80s was like the Gremlins movie and it, everything was just like kick-ass puppetry. The Dark yeah. Crystal, oh, stop it. Stop it. It's like, now that I'm an adult and look back on these things, it's just the, the magic and the, just the, that uncanny valley that, that puppets pull you into. I, I just become speechless. I, I talk a lot, but if I can go into this one story, one of, of course. Puppet shows, one of the first puppet shows that I did, uh, there were some uh, UNC drama students, and we did a show called The, uh, the Shadow Box. It's about a hospice with two, uh, it's three families dealing with a family in the hospice. So I had built all the puppets. There were like a dozen puppets because there were like three or four puppets, you know, per scene, per family. And, you know, of course, we're running behind in the production. The, the show was coming up. So the puppets were built, we had them clothed and everything. And the director was like, you know what? Let's leave the faces blank. First, we don't have time. And then like, I think it would be awesome, you know, to experiment. So after the shows, people were walking up to us asking, well, how did you get the puppet to smile? How did you get it to frown? How did you get to laugh? And this one when we pulled her over, we were like, look, the, the puppets don't have faces. She just looked at her. She almost turned white, and she just turned around and just walked away, just left the theater. So that is the the response that I get from puppetry. I have stories that are like literally some supernatural shit that that goes on with puppetry. Where I, you know, I used to hold back, say I don't want, you know, but now I'm 48. I can give a shit what people think of me. You know, and I have. <laughs> I, um, I've been married 18 years. I don't have anyone to impress. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm turning into a grumpy old man and I'm loving it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you another story. This, like, this really bugged me out. I have a, uh, a puppet, a cellist puppet, and I do box solo. So I was with the, uh, the Paper Hand Puppet Theater. So I opened for the um, concert. So I just claimed the name Jaghetto. So we're out in rural North Carolina. It's Saxbaha, North Carolina. Saxbaha! Yeah, I have a, I have a friend there. that lives there. Yeah. Uh, like Saxbaha is awesome. So his, there are 
that's where their theater is. So he's like, you know, kind of hesitant. Dude, you sure you want me to announce, you know, announce your name as Jigetto? I was like, dude, my name is Jigetto. They'll get over it. You know what I mean? So he's like, you know, performing Jigetto. So I came up with a cello puppet and I started uh, performing doing Bach solo cello pieces with my ghetto ass. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> oh, man. So that happened. So the, the energy and the feedback was so awesome. Like the, the, the whole audience just honed in on a puppet. And I got, I started feeding off of their energy and I closed my eyes and just started performing with my eyes closed. And I felt this, this energy or this heat. And I felt everyone like joining in. I could say it was like a, a fire or some type of energy. And, you know, I finished a piece and I opened my eyes and the whole crowd just stood up and went and just applauded. That's the best part I ever had. I stood up and was like, wow, that was awesome. So the director's wife, uh, she came up to me later on in that day and she said, you know what? I have to share this with you. She said, while you were performing, I closed my eyes and I went into this soft meditation. And she said, you burst into a blue flame. And then the audience members start bursting into blue flames. And you were all blue flames during your performance. And I said, oh my God, she visualized what I experienced. And it freaked me out so bad, I avoided her for weeks. <laughs> I mean, she's seen it to my soul. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that was way, that was more intimate than sex to me. Like she's, yeah. like, ex she like visualized my, my uh, spiritual experience. And it just freaked me out that she was tuned in with me like that. And I was like, she like, I felt like she violated my 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 privacy. <laughs> I mean, it's like, like seriously. I'm like, well, what else did you? What else do you? Know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. What, what secrets do you know about your email you know? password? Like, is get out of my brain. Yeah, get out of my mind. <laughs> oh my god. But, but she's clairvoyant. Uh, she's a healer. She uh, uh, does medicinal and like therapeutic massage and so she, and we've been like close ever since so things like that happen mm -hmm. and it's you know i tell people you know like they ask me why i do it i said because it's magic exactly i am a magician we actually had a a similar conversation like and it, that's that was the answer it's like why do you keep doing you know the arts and theater it's yeah it's, it's magic yeah and uh, now that um you know, this new normal thing is happening. And, you know, I'm old enough to, and I do, I, I'm a, you know, self-proclaimed historian. I love history. I love reading the documentaries. When I'm in my work, I'm working, I'm usually listening to a podcast or, you know, a video or presentation about, you know, American history. And I've seen things happen where, you know, the bias rise up and everything. And I think the only way to, uh, really affect people, bring real changes through the arts. Mm. Any leader or any politics can do it. It has to be art. It has to be through the arts. I think that's the only way you can really connect with people and 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 really grab their attention and make them think about their situation and what they're doing about it. Um, can you I know? can I endorse you right now, Jagetto Twenty Twenty? Oh hell no! I hate <laughs> politics. 
and I would never participate in this wicked system. No, I'd like, I'll keep doing my art, you know, watch my videos and my performances. You can, you know, get enlightened that way, but I could never join politics. You get, you'll get eaten and taken. It'll, it'll, it's like Agent Smith. You go in well intended, but once you realize you're a, a cog in that machine, you're part of the machine. I don't think there's anything that you can do to, to change anything because it's so powerful and it's ancient. These systems have been in existence for millennia and they work perfectly. That's why it's really hard to change. And then you really not change anything. You just adapt it to a different system, which is still slavery. Yeah. In its finest form. So, no, I will not be in politics. I didn't want to teach. You know, so I got pulled into teaching and found out how good I was at it. But even being part of a system, like I couldn't, I couldn't teach in public school because I know that this thing—it's uh, just horrible. And I'm glad this happened because now people are realizing that they actually can homeschool. And it's going to be a, a major boost in homeschooling, which is awesome. The truths of the world are being laid bare for sure in in all of this. Oh, um, I yeah. love it. Yeah. I am an agent of chaos. I just love just everybody just being flipped on their back because you can see who's who now. Yeah. The the righteous are growing and you know, we're helping out, everything's lovely. And the wicked are Karen's and racist assholes slapping people and jumping on attacking people because they don't want to wear a mask. Like it's all being exposed and I love it. The police politics exposure. Exposure, exposure, yes. Yeah, man. This is what we've been talking about for centuries, people. Right. I'm glad you woke up, but now you have to still have to take the sleep out your eyes and get in the shower and wash your ass, and now come sit at the table. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, it's still a long way to go. <laughs> there is a, such a long way to go, but you're totally right. Like, yeah. people are, are coming out of the woodwork, and we're certainly seeing the world for what it is in a different way because of all this. That is 100% right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's enraging and, 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 and encouraging at the same time. Yep, I agree right. with you completely. Like, how did you not see this, you dumbass? <laughs> but now that you see it, you know what I mean? It's like... I mean, because right. everyone, you know, nothing will change until everyone's uncomfortable. Everyone's uncomfortable as hell, and it forced them to really, you know, reflect on their, their surroundings. Yeah. So, yeah, this is just the beginning because it's about to get a lot worse. And then, but then paradise is on the other side. Paradise is on the other side. I appreciate that optimism. Um, we are going to take yes. a, a short break, and we'll be back with some more truth-telling with Jigetto when we come back. Goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Stabley. Joshua Rice. You were from Perry, New York, is that correct? That is correct. Our hometown? Our hometown. And what is our hometown known for? Having 800 cows for every one person. More cows than people, that's right. But what else? Um, ooh, the Silver Lake Sea Serpent. That's true, we do have a sea serpent myth. But what else? Um, sometimes the air smells like cookies because we have a cookie factory in town. That's right, and then because of the cows, some days it smells like cow shit. But what else? Um, well, we have a lot of bars, and we have even more churches. Yes, people do love to drink and love Jesus at the same time, but Sarah, what else? 
Um, oh, we have a Carnegie Library. Oh my God, Sarah. No, it's the Silver Lake Brewing Project. Right, 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 right. SLBP. That's course, right, that's right. SLBP, which is our very own craft brewery here in Perry, New York, which just so happens to be the closest brewery to Letchworth State Park, the Grand Canyon of the East. So if you decide to go for a hike and see some of the gorges or any of the amazing waterfalls, then after you see all of these things, hike on over to the Silver Lake Brewing Project where you can try any one of their rotating selection of 11 craft beers specializing in Belgian and classic American craft styles. Sarah, that's like witchcraft, but beer, beer craft. Which is better. It is better. No one's being burned alive at the stake when you go to the Silver Lake Brewing Project. Sarah, what kind of beer craft is really tantalizing your taste buds? Right now, uh, it's definitely the Saisons. They're incredible. I would say the same for any one of their sour beers. They also have incredible IPAs and a classic Western New York cream ale. And you can come and have these beers in the tap room, which is an incredible place to visit. That was once a horse stable, and before that, a silent movie house, Sarah. Think of it, Buster Keaton riding a horse. With beer. That's right. Who wouldn't want to watch that silent movie? But if you feel like maybe you want to stay more socially distant, these beers are also available for curbside pickup, or you can sit outside on their patio and enjoy the sunshine and sip a tasty craft beer. So Sarah, Perry, New York is famous and getting more famous by the glass. Because we have a podcast. Well, maybe one day, Sarah, a podcast about puppetry. That's right. We're going to make it big. We're going to put the town on the map with this podcast, Sarah. But the Silver Lake Brewing Project is already helping. Check them out at www.silverlakebrewingproject.com. The Puppet Welcome back to more of the Puppet Pod with our guest Jaghetto, who is hearing me slowly go through puberty during the course of the episode. Late, better late um, than never, Josh. He's only 39 yeah, I'm only, years old. Only 39 years old. Better late happens. than never. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm curious when, you know, the inevitable question for you comes up, Jaghetto, when you're at a party. Um, yeah. Or, you know, meeting people for the first time and they're like, so what do you do? How do you answer that question? Is it always like differing based on the context or is it more like because of how you stated earlier, you got nobody to impress, you got one answer and you give that one yeah. answer every time. I just say, I'm a puppeteer. Yeah. And that that always raised eyebrows, always. And you know what? 90% of the reactions is, you're the first puppeteer I've ever met. That's right. Isn't that crazy? It's like people do not know puppeteers. It's, yeah. it's funny, yeah. the, what, uh, I started puppetry, I was working at a restaurant, at the server, matter of fact, and we had a, a, a Christmas party, and I asked the owner, I was like, you know what, since, you know, a couple of people performing, could I bring some puppets? So she was like, sure. So I had a co-worker, her name is Ann, like, we just, uh, that, that restaurant was so fun to work at. We used to have a ball. So we were talking, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm working with these puppets, I think I'm going to, like, really jump into it. And I was like, you know, like, have you ever met a black puppeteer? She looked at me and was like, I've never met a puppeteer before. <laughs> so, so, so you're really going to be different. <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, I think I am on it some. So I'm going to just run with it. And that's actually when I came up with the name Jaghetto. That happened because I was actually, uh, matter of fact, my 17-year-old, he was 
toddler at the time, like three or four, and we were watching the last remake of the Spinocchio movie through Disney. I think it was the one that was uh, kind of like CGI. Yeah. Watching that one. So, you know, my son's sitting and playing with his toys and watching the movie. I'm thinking, like, damn, I'm doing this crazy thing. I have to come up with this name because, you know, I grew up in the hip hop and, you know, street nicknames. I was like, I got to come with a cool name that, you know, symbolizes who I am and stuff like here. So I'm reading the back of the uh, the DVD. And, you know, it says, you know, uh, Geppetto, you know, 15, so-and-so. And I'm like, Geppetto? I was like, Geppetto Ghetto. It's like, that rhymes with Ghetto. I was like, Geppetto? And I was like, oh, shit. So I wrote it down as many ways as I could. And I was like, oh, man, I think I came up with my name. So I went, jumped on Google, searched it, and the closest thing that I've seen was Ghetto. It's a rock band out of Brazil, but it's Portuguese. So it's, yeah. they're saying The Ghetto. So yeah, yeah. Uh, YouTube just launched. That was uh, phenomenal because anybody could upload a video for free. So yeah. I started, you know, just putting my name out there because, you know, I don't believe in like copyright and all that crap. I was like, I have a timestamp and there's, there's proof that I claim the name. So all my videos and stuff, I just started putting it out there, had some shirts made and just, you know, started working on my brand. That's awesome, man. And it's funny. It's funny. When I logged on to um, Instagram, what was that, 2013 or something? I logged on to Instagram. And I was like, you know, the hashtag thing just started taking off. So I was like, I wonder, so I'm still curious if any Greg grabbed the name. There's a brother in Cali up in the, in the Bay Area. He goes by Ghetto Geppetto. Close. I was like, I actually contacted him. I was like, dude, <laughs> you almost got it. <laughs> so, you know, he, he does these uh, toys and he's a puppeteer as well, of course. But yeah, he's, his, his work is amazing too. But yeah. Jigetto, boom, nailed it with a nail gun. That's awesome, man. <laughs> I love that. I'm, I'm curious too, like yeah. for people that maybe are unfamiliar with your your work, is there other influences of hip hop that also like work through some of the styles of puppets and the, the storytelling every, and things like that? Every, every, yeah, everything is hip hop. The uh, first puppet that I built was actually an MC. I gave him a microphone. <laughs> You know what I mean? So definitely. I have a show called Title Spinocchio, which got two uh, Henson Foundation grants. I call that a hip hop one. Nice. Because it's over, you know what I mean, dope tracks. I have a producer out of uh, Detroit named uh, Hero, and he does these Afrofuturistic sounding, real clean, crisp hip hop beats, which was perfect, you know, for the production. It's like he made the music for the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he was in Detroit, so the you know, the show we performed a few times and um, the Detroit Institute of Art invited me to perform there. He actually got to see the show in, in person with his music live. And it was just like a, 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 just this moment, man. We almost cried because it, it, it worked so good together. And then yeah. I'm meeting him in person because we just, you know, we're in contact online. So, yeah, puppetry, man. And they're meeting all these people and doing all this thing through puppets. Because, you know, I actually wanted to be a rap star until I discovered what the, you know, the rap game was really about and how record labels really treat you. So I kind of pulled back from that. And it was like, I, you know, I'll just do local things. But so locally, you know, Pittsburgh, I'm known as rapping and spoken word and all that good stuff. 
but now I can get to do it through puppets now because I can still get to write my pup, my poetry and you know incorporate incorporate that into the show. So I'm actually going to do more rhyming and narration, you know, through uh through rhyme, to to because I'm missing the stage and emceeing. So I still get to produce, you know, beats and you know rap. So now I'm gonna like get back to it. So I think I'm gonna go full circle, go back to the back to the hip hop to do a three puppetry. I love that. Um, and the yeah. style of puppets that you often use are marionette style. Is that would that be like an accurate thing for people to kind of envision the work? I have what well, will my online content. I use mostly marionettes because that's, I think that's the most challenging. But I'm, now that I'm doing film, I'm getting into rod puppets and hand puppets because it's much easier to manipulate. Because marionettes do what the hell they want to do. When they want to they do. are hard you know what I'm saying? it's like yeah I've, I've developed a technique where i say i'm not manipulating the puppet i'm making i'm making suggestions like i want to move in this direction and however it does it however it, it wants to move i don't try to micromanage the movement if the arm lifts or drops it does what it does i just as long as it's going in a direction that i want it to go in i'll just let it do what it does versus you know just wanting to pick up a cup and pick up the cup and take a sip like, no, I just put a rod on the hand and just do it yeah. easy, you know what I'm saying? Especially you know, with this green screen thing, I'm learning that, you know, I'm just teaching myself going on uh, YouTube and, you know, talking to friends and, you know, hitting them up for advice. So it's, yeah, I just love the art form. And I love that I was forced to, you know, forced outside of my comfort zone and just take on a new challenge. I'm not just doing the manipulation now. Now I need to know lighting and what what angles, you know, what what movements I need, what what movements look good on film, what movements don't. So it's a, it's a learning curve, but you know, it is what it is. I love challenges. Yeah, and it sounds like too that this is your full time work oh, yeah. as, as an artist, as as yes. a puppeteer. I wake up, puppets family, work, sleep, repeat. You know, that's really up, lucky. That's awesome. Yeah. That's all I do. It's like I'm in here. And you know, this uh this workshop is a like a 10 by 12 foot um workshed. The I was on the Steve Harvey show a few years ago and the, the show like gave this to me as a gift. Whoa. So, yeah it's like so thanks Steve. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thanks, Steve Harvey. Yeah, it's like, I was. And we can add him to our listenership. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? But yeah, it was, uh, I was, it was a really good segment. It was the last, it was next to the last episode in Chicago before he moved his operation to LA. So it's not online anything anywhere, but I do have it. You know, I um, actually recorded it off the television with my iPad. You know nice. And I tried to upload it, but you know, ABC shut it down for a copyright infringement. So I had oh, it. My, I have it on my cloud. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we got so deep into the conversation. I was supposed to um actually demonstrate, you know, manipulate some puppets on stage, but we got into such a deep conversation that I didn't even have time to show the puppets. It was just like but my career and and you know, he was talking about how we're connected where he remember coming home and telling his wife, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to be a comedian. Because, you know, I did the same yeah. thing. Because when, um, you know, the, the Missy Elliott video happened, I was in LA for 10 days. I was 10 days off work that I missed. 
So, you know, I got, I got back and the director was like, you know, things are happening for you. You know, you've been here six years. You know, what, what do you want to do? So I went home to my wife and I was like, you know what? I think we can do this. You know, it, it was rough. You know, I'm not going to lie. There were some scary moments where the bills weren't getting paid and had to borrow money, but we stuck in there. You know, I had a wife. My wife is a rapper, die chick, as they say in the hood. She got my back. You know what I mean? So we uh, roughed through it. And now, you know, we don't need for anything. You know, all through public school, you know, there's, we have savings and I get to do this full time. She works when she wants to. But she had to come in as my full-time manager because, you know, the workload got so big as I can't create and manage contracts and negotiation all So she jumped in. She's my manager. Uh, she handles all my emails and appointments. I get to be in here and create. And, yeah, it's, it's it just worked out. And that's a whole family operation. Wow. that's <laughs> My teenage son, he handles the merchandise. Um, my son's a puppeteer and our uh, six-year-old daughter, she's showing interest in, in puppeteering. So uh, she, once, every once in a while, she'd go on stage with her and do a little something. But yeah, every, it's all in the family. That is so incredible to hear, man. I, I love that story. Yep. And I also love the, the dedication and trust in yourself to like, yes, this is the thing that I love enough to try to go and do it. And, you know, I'm going to put in the time to like get to the point where it can be the sustaining thing, which I think for a lot of people yep. and artists, especially, you know, it's so difficult to get to that point where, you know, we can just dedicate all of our time to this thing. Cause we're so used to those, the other parts, yeah. right? Paying the bills and, you know, making sure that we're, you know, good capitalists and, you know, all that stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Um, so that's inspiring, you know, I think for, for people to hear, especially, uh, because I, I love those stories as, as a person that wished they had more time to dedicate yes. to it. It's like, yes, I want to know more. I want to know how people are, are making that happen. It's like, like you know, there is no um, plan B. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like getting, I, I could have easily, you know, every once in a while I would uh, Uber or something as a side. So I was like, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. Cause it's, it's taking away and it's, it's, it's falling back as a cushion. Like you, I have, like, if I can drive a car six hours, six to eight hours a day, I can surely find a way to use that six to eight hours to make it profitable through puppetry. You just have to think harder and, you know, just think outside the box and make it happen. Yeah. Well, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit then about the Missy Elliott video and how that kind of came into your your world as an opportunity and then what it was like working in a in a on those kind of puppets and being a puppeteer in uh, kind of like a really major production that's like, you know, major cameras and major close-ups. You know, yeah. It was, oh, dude, it was like, still just blows my mind just thinking about it. Like I said, I was a rapper back in Pittsburgh and a good friend of mine named um, Terry Davis, he goes by Is A Kiss on stage. He got signed by Timberland a few years back. So he contacted me on Facebook out of the blues, like, yo, what's up, man? I heard you're doing puppets now. Hit me up. So I called him. He was like, dude, I'm in Misty Elliott's mansion in Atlanta, and she's about to come back out, and she wants puppets in her video. And I heard you're doing puppets. I was like, oh, shit, are you serious? So he's like, yeah, man. He was like, I'm going to hit you back. I'm going to call on a three-way. 
So I'm like, oh man, so I'm, I'm at work teaching and you know, all the, we have, we're in, um, during recess, all the kids are on the playground. So he calls me back. I usually don't answer my phone at work, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, I was outside. So I was like, hey, what's up, man? He was like, Jigetto, meet Missy Elliott. And she said, hey, what's up? I said, whoa. <laughs> so the recess was over and all the students and my coworker I, I, that I taught with, She's like, you know, Mr. P, are you coming in? And I like shook my head and like waved her off and I stayed on the phone. I stayed on the playground. So I'm like talking to her. She's like, yeah, I want to do this and that. So, you know, I was like, you know, nice talking to her. So I hung up and I went into my classroom and she was like, what's, are you okay? What's wrong? I was like, I was just on the phone with Missy Elliott. She said, get out. You know, just little skinny white girl, blonde hair. She's like, I love Missy Elliott. Oh my God. You know? So I was like, she wants me to be in a video or something, you know what I'm saying? So, so that's how that happened. The puppets were uh, built by uh, Furry Puppet Studios, okay. Zach Buckner. Okay. So I flew out. No matter of fact, rewind. I had built this uh, a robot puppet for her, for Missy, okay. you know, just, just as to, you know, get in the door. But they didn't go with that. She uh, told her producers what she wanted to do. So they went and got Zach to build these beautiful puppets. I mean, they're still one of the best marionettes I've ever seen. They were, I mean, you really can't see the detail because everything is just like, wow, boom, pow, you know, on the video. But the eyes blinked. They spoke. You know what I mean? The, the, just the craftsmanship. Everything was handmade. A puppet always moved about me. <laughs> but um, everything was handmade. The, uh, they had, like, original throwback sneakers like hand painted and molded oh. so i get out there and you know i met missy and like in the studio i'm like wow this is crazy so i seen the puppets and meanwhile they were auditioning for like a few months and they couldn't in, in la but they couldn't no one could get the puppets to dance like she wanted them to so she uh was like you know what there's this brother in north carolina and there's a brother who makes some dance in, in Jamaica. She's like, get them here. That's when I got the call. I guess I was kind of left out the loop, but they circled back around, pulled me out there. So I looked at the puppets, you know, manipulated. I was like, you know what? These puppets are too stiff. They're yeah. beautiful, but if you want them to move like that, I need to like modify them and rebuild them to get them to move and twerk like you want them to. So she was like, word? I said, word. <laughs> so she looked at her people was like, go get him what he needs. So we went back to the studio. We converted the dance studio into a workshop. Got a couple fold-out tables. Got a, a wardrobe hanging rack. We hung the marionettes, and I worked on them one at a time. Cut the legs apart. You know what I mean, readjusted it. While the other puppeteer was uh, doing the dance manipulation, he would work it out. So you know, every day we go to the studio, and I say, "Well, what do you want this one to do?" So she said, "I want this one to do a split." I'm like, "Word." So I go work on that. Come the next day, boom. So we had 10 days to get the puppets together. And there were probably like eight puppets all together. Woo! Including, including Missy's and um, Pharrell's puppet. I was controlling the Pharrell puppet in the video. Nice. Yep, so, and then uh, it was three of us there. They brought in another uh, puppet wrangler. He's, I can never remember his name, but he was an older cat in the 60s. He was so out of his element. You know, so, uh, 60 year old white dude doing a rap video. He was just like sitting back like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of place. Like, no, come on, man. Let's have some fun. You know what I'm saying? Just move your hips a little. Yeah. It'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. Get into it. But, you know, all the 
Oh, when you seen it, like really going in, that was the guy from Jamaica. His name was uh, Rich, Rich Atkinson. You know, he goes, uh, forgot his his stage handle. I forgot the name of his puppet, but yeah, cool dude. But I've never seen anyone manipulate a marionette like him. There's, mm. I mean, he is the man. Like it looks good on video, but in person, you're just like, oh my, like how are you doing that? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we would like, I was a backup for him, you know, when they needed more than one, but he was the guy's like doing the twerking and the, the leg, you know, the knee coming up and the shoulders moving. Like that was, it looked like CGI, but he was like actually doing that in person. Wow. And uh, the, the, as far as the shoot and the cameras, oh uh, man, we did uh, three locations. One was downtown LA and they were night, they were night shoots. So I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know. And the producer, look, he was like, no, I don't think you understand. A night shoot means 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So go get some, so go back to your room and get some rest. I was like, oh man. Damn. So and uh the the LA homeless population, oh my God, I was it was crazy. This one guy just rode around a bicycle with a big boom box strapped to the back on a banana seat. And he just rode around downtown blasting music. This other guy walked up to us. Big white dude, what are y'all doing? Are we doing a video? You know, we had a, a cop for security. He's like, can I get water? He's like, it's time for a staff. He's like, F y'all. Just saw you put up a, a Hitler salute. It was like, white power. Oh, Jesus. I was like, okay. <laughs> was like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it was crazy. But um, then we moved the location. We went to the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the warehouse district in LA. That's where uh, Michael Jackson's uh, shot Thriller. That's there was another one during the, the dark scene where it was uh, all the dancing and the um, oh right yeah the crazy light that was the warehouse district but the dude the catering oh my god they had tents set up <laughs> it was like a buffet style they had people serve the food they walking around with trays of hors d'oeuvres and all the drinks you want it was oh, it was insane and then the operation man uh, Missy had like teams that had scheduled where they would bust them in, they would come and do their segment and bust them out. It was just like a whole night operation, like hundreds of people, hundreds Man. of people. Amber Cruz, I was just sitting back, just blown away, just out there, just the efficiency of it all. Yeah, yeah. And then, dude, I just want to say to like, shout out to Missy Elliott, man. Her work ethic is insane. Like she was there before we got to the studio and then it was time to wrap up and leave. She'd be like, okay, I'll see y'all tomorrow. And she'd still be there while we're gone. Like, they're all, just always there in the mirror, practicing, you know, going over with the choreographer. And, you know, this uh, this one time I was, uh, you know, we over in the corner doing our thing. She would come and check. She would be working with the dancers, like, you know, that looks good, this and that. So she would come and check on us. And she was, this, this one time we were having a conversation. She said, excuse me for a second. She said, yo, what would that look like if you was on the other side of her doing that move, she said, let me see it. So they did it. She said, okay, we'll roll with that. Okay, baby, where, where, where were we at? You know what I'm saying? So she was just like everywhere at the same time. Man. It was like, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, and then when Pharrell came to the studio, <laughs> I'm in the studio with Pharrell Williams and Missy Elliott at the same time. Like two mega hip hop stars. And it's funny because they started talking to they're both from Virginia Beach. So they got into this argument on who was the dopest. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Missy was like, no, you're for real. You know, you did this. And he was like, shut up. You're Missy Elliott. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, 
I'm looking back and forth at it like a tennis match. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> hey, guys, look at these puppets. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, that's, uh, speaking of that, you know, Pharrell wanted to, to see the puppets in person. So I pulled it off the bag, unwrapped it, and I started walking towards him with his this miniature puppet that looked exactly. It freaked him out. He was like, ah, and he started running. I started chasing <laughs> around the studio with his marionette. <laughs> but yeah, man. Now man. Pharrell is terrified of puppets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he was like, it's just freaking me out, man. It was like, it was, oh, it was, it was dope, man. And like when we came in, he was already there when we walked in. And like when he seen us walk in, man, he like beeline straight for us. He like walked straight up to me, you know, had his hand. I was like, you know, it's such an honor to meet you and, and work with you, man. I want to thank you so much for doing it. I was like, wait a minute, stop, dude. Like, you're for real. I'm supposed to be saying this to you. This real cool, humble cat, man. That's nice to real hear. Cat. Yeah. You know, because like, I'll say this. He's, his energy was similar to uh, Fred Rogers. Oh. He really had like a good, like, like or, or Nefri. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. The same, that same, but just like that love radiation. I call it love radiation. That's just amazing. Like radiate like good vibes, man. I, I can't oh. wait to talk to oh, Nefri. Shout out to Fred Rogers. Yeah, shout out to Fred yeah, Rogers yeah. and shout out to our friend Nefri, who in the same breath is being mentioned with Farrell Williams. Yeah. <laughs> and I think she would love yeah. that so much. Yes. Oh, I, I, you know, I hung out with Mr. Rogers like a half hour, a couple months before he passed, too. What? Yeah. This is before I started doing puppetry. I was a live performance painter at the time. Oh, my gosh. And I, was at a, I was at a local studio because I'm from Pittsburgh. That's yeah. where he's based. Yeah. My high school is in the same neighborhood. He, uh, he's, his house in Squirrel Hill. But um, I was on a local TV station doing a live performance painting. And the, the person who invited me on the show, she was like, you know what? Fred just walked in the building. Did you want to meet him? And I'm with my wife. My wife is probably like eight months pregnant at the time. She's seven or she's like third trimester. So I was like, of course. So dude, we looked down the hall. You know, it was upstairs in the, um, the offices. You know, it's a hallway. And then, there's, you know, uh, there's rooms full of cubicles. So he's coming up the hallway, dude. He has the, the, the slacks. With the with the slow the sneakers and the, the sweater, and I'm like, oh my god, it's just like Mr. Rogers, like you know, <laughs> from Pittsburgh, you'll see, you'll get to see him on location, like he'll be in like in front of a fire station, you know, with kids, you know, he'll be on set, but to actually meet him and talk to him, so he's walking towards us, and like, dude, like adults and everything, friend, you know, coming out, he's hugging people, and you know, blood is touching people's heads, blessing people like Jesus of Nazareth, man, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody completely loved him, man. It was wild. So he gets up to us, you know, he's introduced. So he was like, you know what? Come on, come with me. Took us back in his office. And we talked for like a half hour, man, just about life and art. You know, I was a visual artist at the time. I wanted to be the next Jean-Michel Basquiat. Yeah. So I always, this was before smartphones. So I kept a, a, a physical photo album with pictures of my artwork in it. Yeah. I had it everywhere I go. He was looking through that. You know, we were doing talking about art, and he gave me an autographed picture. Then he looked at my wife. He said, "You know, you know, when are you doing? Are you taking care of yourself? What are you eating? What are you doing for exercise?" He's just like, "Oh my God, this is crazy." So he's like, "Make sure you bring the baby. I want to meet your son when he's born." And then he he passed away. And I was listening to uh, NPR on the radio. I was, uh, I was in the parking lot of Home Depot. 
about to get out the car and the announcement came on, you know, Fred Rogers, but dude, I started sobbing uncontrollably. Mm. Like, like snot cry, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was like, that kind of like, yeah, the ugly cry. And I, it was uncontrollable. It was like, a, a, I lost a close family member. Yeah, yeah. And I still had to go into the store. So I was in a store like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> still sucking in. <laughs> I'd like to buy these owls, please. <laughs> so it was like, you know, I'm trying to keep my composure. I'm out in public, like crying like a baby. It was wild. So the you know the cashier was like, "Are you okay?" I was like, "Oh, we okay." <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so I get home. You know, my wife, you know, seeing she's like, "What's?" She looked. I was like, "What? Why were you crying? What's wrong?" Like, Mister Rogers is dead. And this week, both like, "Oh my god!" We both start bust out crying, sobbing, you know, hugging in the middle of the living that's that that half hour man. yeah half hour he he radiated love like that person you see on the television that's that's not even like that doesn't know justice that's incredible just yeah. like i'm not a religious person but if there's like a, so someone to be sainted like definitely fred rogers fred rogers definitely that's a beautiful story. Uh, we just interviewed uh, a buddy of ours, Spencer Lott, who designed the puppets for It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood movie. Nice. And um, he was Dude. just kind of talking about going into the museum and like pulling out yep. the measuring tape to get the exact measurements and everything like exactly replicated to what Fred Rogers' original puppets were. And, you know, nice. he's such a big fan, too. He grew up watching it as Dude, a kid. I, and, I can't, I couldn't, I still haven't watched the documentary or the movie. I can't do it yet. Yeah, it's I'll yeah. just cry the whole time. Too fresh. It's like yeah, that's so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's you know, it's like get a box of Kleenex, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sit by myself and just watch it. Oh my gosh. Well, we are we're feeling the feels and thinking about Fred Rogers. So this might be a good time to take a break yes. and we will come back yes. with some more <laughs> Jigetta. Let's face it, puppetry is hard. It's even harder during a pandemic. The form is predicated upon people being in very close proximity to one another to puppeteer something and having an audience to see it. But the field persists, adapts, and pivots. And the New York State Puppet Festival and Shake on the Lake are doing just that in presenting their brand new online puppetry series, NYSPF at Home. This series of brand new short puppetry works made for an online, on-screen audience features some of our favorite artists, many of whom have been and will be featured on the Puppet Pod, including Andy Manjuk and Dorothy James with Bill's 44th, a Zoom birthday, Just Another Lynching, an American horror story by the artist Jigeto, Out of Office by Emma Wiseman and Emily Zemba, and a brand new multimedia puppetry piece from Tom Lee. NYSPF at Home brings puppet artists from their respective quarantines to you in your home starting in October and running through January. For more information and virtual tickets, please visit www.NewYorkStatePuppetFestival.org. That's www.NewYorkStatePuppetFestival.org. Puppetry is hard, but watching it in your home is easy. 
with NYSPF at home. The Puppet Pod! We are back uh, with more Jigedo. This has been a really incredible conversation. And one of the things that I really love about the work that you're talking about is the magicness of puppets. And you mention on your website this idea that you kind of like pursue through your work, which is like the oneness through magic of puppetry. And I wonder if you could maybe uh, elaborate on that a little bit uh, for our audiences listening. Yes, uh, that's like a, a double meaning, becoming one, uh, the, the word oneness, I see that as me becoming one with the puppet. And then uh, the other side is every all of us focusing in and becoming one with that same inanimate object. I mean, and then that can actually start a conversation where people have a spiritual awareness of a of a the so-called oneness. So there's, I mean, you can interpret it any way you want. They're all correct. Yeah, I, I love that. And it speaks a little bit earlier to that story that you were uh, mentioning earlier about uh, really getting in sync with the cello playing puppet and yes. uh, feeling the audience and then someone actually observing that and telling yes, you that they dude. were also seeing that same thing. Crazy, man. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, I actually have a uh, production uh, titled Just Another Lynching, where it's a fictional mm. story about a lynching in South Carolina. And that, that content is so heavy, man, we had to open it up into an open discussion after the performance. Mm-hmm. So it's turned into basically an a, uh, anti-racism workshop. Yeah, Because there's yeah. the performance, and then there's the open panel discussion with the puppeteers uh, answering questions from the audience. Right. And it's it's so profound, man. Uh, the the first time uh, we opened, there was a, a a black father who brought his twelve year old son, and his son was the first person to raise his hand to uh, actually you know comment on the the production, and it was deep, man. The uh, the little boy said his uh, best friend was actually shot and killed by a police officer in, um, oh. in Durham, and he was you know his. He was young enough to to relate the story and, and actually see that police executions of people who are unarmed are lynchings because there's there's no punishment for the murder. And for him to connect that, and I see, see this is why I do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, there's this other crazy story. This uh, one white guy, he came up to me after the show. Uh, this, was, this was the same uh, weekend run, but a different night. He said, you know what, man? I, my, my friend told me, he was like, man, you got to come see this puppet show. He said, I don't want to see no damn puppet show. But he said he basically like dragged him to the show. And there's a scene where there's, the story is about a, a black man and a white man. They're friends, but the black man's up getting lynched in the, in the story. But they met as children. And while they were children, when they, the day they met, they had a ball. And they started throwing the ball back and forth to each other because they really weren't allowed to play together. I mean, it's during a Jim Crow. So the guy said, when I seen that scene, it blew my mind because he said he had a roommate, a, a black guy's a roommate, and they had had a falling out and the dude moved out. So they reconnected and they went to, you know, just talk it out. And while they were walking, they didn't even speak yet. They said they looked and seen a, a baseball in this grass field. They said they looked at each other picked up the baseball, 
jumped the fence and started throwing the ball to each other, just like the two boys did in my puppet show. Oh, he said man. it blew his mind that I reenacted the scene that they, he said, this just, he said he just did it like a few months ago. He said, for me to come to a puppet show that I didn't want to come to and to see a scene that I actually lived with a black friend of mine, he's like, dude, like, who the hell are you? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'm out here. So, dude, I'm telling you, like, there's, I have a lot of stories like this connected to uh, puppet performances and puppet shows. I really appreciate that spiritual connection that kind of runs through all of that stuff. And yes, something about the puppet form, which, you know, we've talked about with other people too, but I think puppets allow us to maybe approach certain subject matter that human actor would have a more difficult yeah. time doing. Dude, I, there's actually a lynching scene with the puppets mm-hmm. and it's cringe. You know, I yeah. see shoulders go up and just, it's, it's wild. Matter of fact, I performed at the art center in a Carborough, North Carolina, it's connected to Chapel Hill. And there was a, like a long line of people standing to meet me and talk to me, you know, personally, but after the uh, Q and A, cause I said, I'm here, you know, we don't have to load out or anything. You know, if you want to talk about something, you know, personal, just, you know, come up. But so the people lined up. So this one woman walked up, you know, she had waited like 10, 15 minutes to speak to me. And I noticed like she had like a, a, a deformality in her face. And when she got up to me, she said, young man, are you familiar with the Klan shooting that happened in Greensboro, North Carolina, back in like the, the mid 80s or something? I said, yeah, yeah, I was like, you know what? I had just researched that on YouTube, you know, during all my research for the show. So she was like, I was one of the victims of that shooting. My husband got killed and I got shot in the face. <sighs> so the woman, and she's like, I was there and I was shot and my husband was killed. And she's like, well, I wanna thank you so much, you know, for doing this show because this conversation needs to be had and action needs to you know, start being taken. And we hugged and I, I held her for like 15, 20 seconds. Yeah. We just embraced and I'm like, thank you so much for coming. And it's, yeah, wow. Because when we had had this conversation, I'm like, the, the white population doesn't think as a collective. You can you think as an individual, that's how you can dismiss things. You'll see a, a, a white supremacist do something and you can say, well, that's just him. No, that's you. That's who you are. You know what I mean? Because I, my wife is a uh, on a board. Of, it's a, a a committee that does um, anti-racism workshops. And there was this uh, white woman in her fifties. She said, "Oh my God, I just realized that I am the Nazi Germany. I am the Hitler. I am the Muslim. I am the the Klansmen. Those are my people." And I was like, "You finally get it." When white people think as a collective and know. I mean, especially, come on now, you, every white person I've met has racist people in their family. It's like, stop it. You're a liberal, you move away from your little racist family to a city, and you just ignore it. Meanwhile, they're still living their life. Like, that's not helping anything. Like, for racism right. and you have, really have to confront your family members, your grandma, your grandpa, your parents, your brothers, your cousins. Like, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. That's you have a, an, a, a profound, really, really hard job to do. And it's on y'all. You know, yeah. it's not up to us. It's racism is not a black issue. And I've always, you know, like nailed that 
in the uh, in the uh, after discussion because you know a white person say, I'm so sorry for what like no don't feel sorry for us we're okay you need to feel sorry for the your people who hate for no legitimate reason at all like racism is founded on lies like literally like you know black people do this they do that no like we are over criminalized in the media while the white population is under criminalized. Like I seen a story, there was a white guy, he did, he uh, murdered three people. And dude, he had 230 felony counts, 230. This one time he got into it with a police officer, beat up the cop and he only did 90 days. I said, find me someone of color that has three felonies that's out in public, that's not doing a, a, a very long sentence. Right. I know people with first-time drug offenses that did 10 years. That's that's the problem. Because you know, we you know, when you say, well, you know, a black person, we he got killed unarmed, you know, we need justice, this and that, and you'll have some fucking racist assholes say, Well, more white people get killed by the police than black people. I was like, you know what? That's true. That's totally but true, but what was the white person doing? Nine times out of 10, they were shooting, they were having a shootout with the police and got killed. Find me one video of an innocent, unarmed white person being murdered for a traffic violation. Find me one. I've seen videos, I've seen dozens of videos of white people having a shootout with the police. I've seen a video with a white boy running out of police with a knife and they still, still did everything in their power to keep that person alive, even though their life was was a threat. Mm -hmm. But uh, um, like Philando Castile, I have a gun, I I have a license for, I'm just going to reach, give you my license. And he murdered him in front of his girlfriend, or fiance, and his baby girl in the back seat. What kind of monster would shoot somebody with their daughter in the back seat of the car? That makes no sense. So. Yeah, this, I took the opportunity to use my puppetry just to go after injustice, which is white supremacy, which is me to the biggest terrorism on the planet. Like 9-11 happened and, you know, white people are like, oh my God, you know, terrorists, this and that. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding. Have you ever heard of the Ku Klux Klan? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, a, a legitimized terrorist organization that is allowed to exist. Every, every black organization that is created is to fight racial injustice and, and the harm that is being brought against our community, which is demonized and murdered and shut down. You still have political prisoners who are, who are Black Panther to this day. There was this one brother, he was in solitary confinement for it. It was an, an unbelievable amount of time just, just, just because he wanted justice and equality. So this is the, the, the country that we live in. And this is a society that I hate this, this, this uh, society's and this government's guts. Because, you know, yes, there are violence in the black community. Of course there is, there's violence in every community. Like what I said, like, but that is pushed and promoted and white crime is suppressed and, and, and downplayed. You know what I'm saying? It's like, when you look at the stats, you will see like as far as like violent offenses, like rape and murder, like white men run shit, but they do a lot less time. And the, the, the justice system, it's not about the, just the police. 
It's about the DAs, it's the attorneys, it's the judges, it's the district attorney. All of that has to go. It's just not, because people try to portray like it's just a couple bad cops that do bad things. No, because if you're a good cop and you do report anything, you're like harassed and you're fired. So is there such thing as a good cop? That thin blue line and it's, 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 it's the culture because that's like saying there, are, there were good Nazi soldiers. Mm. I'm sure there were good people, but they were following orders. I'm sure they went home at night and kissed their baby girl on the forehead and read to their daughter and treated their wife lovely. But their job was to terminate a group of people and they participated and didn't say no and didn't stand up. So are you an ethical person? If you know your coworker is harassing people and setting them up and you say and do nothing because you're afraid for your career and your life, are you really an ethical or moral person? Are you really a good person? Would you work, say Walmart employees were harassing and killing people and you didn't say anything, you just kept working at Walmart and you just kept your job. Are you an ethically good person? That's my question. I say no. I say all good cops quit because it's not you. You are a cool person. You respect everybody around you, but the culture that and the organization that you're with is the biggest gang. And you know they set people up. You know they murder people with impunity. So how can you be a part of that? That's where I stand with it. Yeah, man. You know, if you look at it from that perspective, like good cop, I don't think so. Yeah. Even with the 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 beatings and stuff, I've had yet to see a cop stop one of them. Right. Are you I mean you don't stop them? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? Like there, during the protest, there was a, a black female cop who actually went and, and stopped an officer from like beating a, another a woman or something like Saw that. Saw that, yeah. I'm sure she'll be fired. I'm sure of it. And I'm sure she, she's being harassed mm-hmm. because it's the culture. So that's why I'm, I'm stepping my game up and really doing artivism to my puppy. You think I'm controversial now? You ain't saying shit. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> I like that word too, <laughs> artivism. That's a really nice way yeah. to put the the ways of trying to make change through art, like you were talking about earlier. You know, that that's yeah. really is a great way to affect change to get people to listen and pay attention and learn and, and how to change some of that stuff because you're right, a lot of that work is on us as the white community to really step up and it's know, all on you. It's your work. responsibility. Yep. It's it's funny because it's like you invented racism. Why the hell are you asking black people what to do? Mm-hmm. It's just like, that that cracks me up. Like you yeah. invented it. What the hell do you mean? You know what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not our job. Go listen to Jane Elliott or somebody. I'm not giving you advice on how to fight racism. Figure it out. I'm trying to keep my family alive. Shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not obligated to teach anyone anything. You know what I'm saying? If you're down, <laughs> if you're a so-called ally, just prove it. You know what I'm saying? Because it comes down to the individual. Because there are Black people, people of color, who will give their life to defend this system of white supremacy because they benefit from it. Like, when it comes down to the core of it, like, color don't mean shit. It's just the fact that Black people are persecuted and they're punished for their crimes and white people are not. That's the only issue. That's the only issue. Because when we say, you know, we're being killed, this and that, and you know, the, 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 the racists say, well, what about black and black crime? I'm like, well, I don't know if you know this, but when a black person kills another black person, they go to prison and they do their time. So that's not the issue. You know what I'm saying? It's like, 
that's not the issue. Yeah. So shut the hell up with that redirecting bullshit. Yes, the hood is very violent. Yes, it is. But look at the situation. Mm -hmm. I came up in culture. You know what I'm saying? I lost many friends to gun violence. But I was smart enough and I had a positive energy where I could I navigate it. You know what I'm saying? Through that. There's many times I've like talked myself out of situations where I could be killed or be in prison right now. You know what I'm saying? There was this uh, one summer, I was in three different people's cars. I was pulled over three times in like five days with three different people. You know what I'm saying? This uh, one time, uh, a, a, good, a close cousin of mine, he had uh, picked me up in his car. He was like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, man. There's, there's a cop following me, so I didn't know what to do. I seen you, and I jumped in the car with him. So he was stabbed like a few weeks before, so he had a, a, his arm in a sling under his shirt. So the cops pulled us over, they talking to us. So he asked me to get out the car and he had cornrows and he had the, the gang look and his goddamn arm was under his sling. So the cop thought he was about to pull a gun on him. So he like drew his weapon and pinned my cousin up in the car with the gun up to his neck. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't blow my cousin's head off. But the cop was professional enough to see because he was like, oh my God, Please don't kill me. I'm stabbed. You're hurting me. That's a sling. That's a sling I have on. So he like looked and like backed off. Was like, you know, of course you know. So, but we were like, dude, we totally understand that could have happened. But the pro, the cop was professional enough to really analyze the situation and see what was really going on. I could have lost my cousin right there, right in my, right in front of me. But I, I think if that would have happened in the culture now, he would have just killed him. And just he'd have, they would have both been shot. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, that's this we do we have to address this and now that this pandemic happened and people are actually seeing what's going on, it's time to correct things, man. Shut down systems, dismantle them and build them where, where there's justice. You know what I'm saying? That's all yeah. we've ever been looking for. And it's funny because you know, we're the ones out in the street dying and blooding, but every other ethnic group and minority comes and they benefit off of the work that we put in and then they throw us under the bus. We try to unite with brown people, but you know, speaking like is the whole the whole picture. They kind of separate from us and you know do their own thing, and we just left out in the cold once again. It's like every minority that came over, it's like they're taught to shit on black people over here, and I've seen reports and stories where even you'll come from Asia and the TSA will like tell you stay away from black people or stay away from black communities. That that propaganda and that racism is like reinforced. And it, it's just ridiculous, man. Like the Italians came over. They were, you know, like everyone is treated badly and they're accepted eventually. But there, there is always, you know, we experience racism from every group, everyone. So when it comes down to it, it's like, do you have our back or not? It's like, we seem like we're always on our own. So maybe it's changing now. We'll see. You know <laughs> yeah, there's there's certainly we'll more see. more to be done, but I think the awakening for a lot of people has been a, a positive yeah. out of all of this for sure. I mean, I always start to say I'm the I'm the optimistic pessimist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I just focus on personal relationships, man. Yeah. Because I man, I have white people, man, that I'll fucking kill somebody over, man, who would kill kill for me, their family. It has yeah. nothing to do with your skin. But it's the system. And if you don't realize that, and if your your mentality of reality interferes with, with my well-being, you kiss my ass. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I could give a damn 
about being accepted by white culture. I can give a shit about being a Hollywood celebrity. I'm too outspoken. I'll get canceled immediately. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I already know. That's why I never tried the whole Hollywood thing because I know I'll get canceled immediately because yeah. I'm outspoken and I don't give a shit and I'm not afraid to speak my mind. If it's the truth, I just don't hire me. Like even like with uh, the whole like Nick Cannon situation, like if you really look at what he said, he was so respectful, but he was talking about world history. He didn't say like a group of people did. He was just saying like how things came about and he was attacked for being honest. Now he's doing this and he's still being punished. And I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm standing on my square. And if you don't realize what truth is and if you're offended by the truth, you kiss my ass. Because I'm saying the truth out of love. I'm not a hateful person. I don't say anything out of hate. You know what I'm saying? Even if there is a person, you know, a white supremacist that hates me, I don't hate you. you you're irrelevant to me. I'm defending my ancestors and my people. If I'm coming at you, I'm not attacking you because I hate you. I'm attacking you because of love for myself and my family. You know what I'm saying? Because even if you go religious, they say Christ, you know what I'm saying? He flipped out. He flipped the tables in the, or, or the, the, yeah, he went the fuck off. There was no turning the other cheek. And they say when he comes back, he's going to be on a horse with a sword. You know what I'm saying? I think this is the time of the sword, man. Like, that's, that's uh, so called good, righteous people. It's time to kick some ass and take names. You know what I mean? Like, this is a spiritual war, man. Are y'all ready? Even spiritually, like, this is, it's time, this this age of Aquarius, man, This ex, everything's being exposed. Everybody thought that it was 2012, but it's 2020. Yeah, it is. And I, I've seen uh, this one who did a presentation, and he said, this is, the roaring 20s. He said, this is the 1920s in a full cycle. And I said, mm. holy shit. The, depress the Great Depression, he said, that's about to happen. He said, because, like, dude, time is a cycle. There is no linear. And that, that blew me away, man. This is the roaring 20s. So be ready. I, yeah, <laughs> I would not be surprised about that if that is yeah. what ends up coming through. And I, I do hope, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, that there is paradise on the other side of this that we can. And there's definitely, definitely. You know, this is, it's going to be, a, it's going to get real dark, but we're going to, like everybody who survives it, man, it's, it's going to be a just world on the other side. Yeah. I, I truly believe and I know that in my heart. That's, that's why I'm, I, I keep swinging, man. I don't give up because I want everybody's babies to grow up in a better world. I really do. I mean that shit. I believe that you know, too. Man. I'll give my life. I'll give my life to make that happen. You know, my my family hates when I talk like that, but I'm like, hey, I'm raising you the same way. If I have to die to make this world a better place, that's nothing to me, because I, you know, I grew up in the church, and uh, you know, no disrespect, but Christians always made a big deal of you know Christ giving His life to you know for humanity. I was like, I would do that. What the hell? That's nothing. You know what I'm saying? So. I would do that in a heartbeat. I've never seen that as a big deal, you know? So I I, believe, I think that speaks volumes to the kind of human being you are, Terish. I just said your real name out loud. I hope that's okay. No, it's cool. Yeah, Terish. I've been called worse, Josh. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it in there, you know what I'm saying? My name is Terish. I you grew up with the name, you know. But yeah, Jigetto, I think like Jigetto is is a I think it casts a positive spell. Yeah. 
I think you definitely do, and you you definitely are, and I am so appreciative that people get to hear that today uh, during the course of this interview. Um, Before we let you go, because this has been incredible and amazing, but we don't want to keep you too much longer, we do a segment we call the Puppet Hot Pot. The Puppet Hot Pot. Uh, Where we just ask a a rapid-fire series of questions. Sarah loves the name. I hate it. Puppet Hot Pot. I hate (laughs) it. As you can tell. But uh, a rapid-fire series of questions with the rapid-fire series of answers. Are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Okay, man, here we go. Uh, question number one. Do you have a favorite style or form of puppetry right now? Um, rod puppets is my style right now because it works good with green screen films. Awesome. Um, have you developed any new hobbies in quarantine? Nope, all puppets. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, <laughs> do you have any good like puppet war stories, like you're in a performance and then something like crazy happens to one of the puppet's limbs or something? Like, These are my favorite. This is my favorite question. Dude, I was in this production called Love and Robots with Paperhand Puppet Intervention. They're uh, the uh, theater group out of Saxophone Hall. We had life-size puppets that we wore like it was you, you it was a, uh, a shoulder harness and the puppets hung in front of you but it was life-size and the director had this puppet that it was actually the the main character in the show and he went to throw his arms up in celebration and the and both the legs ripped apart from the hip section and were dangling from his <laughs> knee <laughs> in the middle of the protection in the middle of the scene but it was so kick-ass and awesome that nobody even noticed so we walked <laughs> off stage and I was waiting for him with the drill and the, and the tools so we could fix it during intermission <laughs> so that yeah that was the biggest fuck up on, on stage that I experienced that's pretty <laughs> incredible awesome it was hilarious yeah there's nothing um, like an adrenaline boost from having to fix a puppet yeah. as soon as it comes off stage right ASAP here we go yeah. get it back out in two seconds um is there a memorable place in the world that your work is taking you? Say LA right now. I love yeah. Los Angeles. The Missy Elliott, that was the, the biggest experience I had. Awesome. Is there a fun fact about Jigetto that maybe people don't know? Pretty much an open book. Uh, I love, I have to snack while I work, and my favorite snack is unsalted peanuts with sweet tea. Nice. nice. I'm a bland guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basic as, as they get. I love unsalted peanuts in the shell. So for all the fans out there of Jigetto, if you want to send a care package, unsalted peanuts, send them in. Yes. yes. Um, this is a question that I always find interesting. Is there anything like, you know, this idea of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, is there anything more that you want to try to accomplish? Or are you kind of living the dream right now? I'm living a dream right now. I would just like to expand my dream to teach young puppeteers to take over from, I already have my uh, son, he's the legacy right there. But I actually want to grow my LLC to have like multiple theaters, m- multiple venues. I just want to grow that way. But as far as movies and stuff, us, whatever, you know, I'm doing what I love now. I'm just mastering my craft and just evolving and growing. And I just want to just teach it to other people. But I'm, I'm living a dream. That's, this is exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, if you had a wish for the world, 
in systemic worldwide white supremacy so there'd be justice for all people that is the cancer on this planet it's been established it's done unreversible damage on people places and things let's get that shit out of here quit being assholes <laughs> Yes. Everybody just stop being assholes and hating people for no goddamn reason. At least have a valid reason. Yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like everybody else does. Because like like the, the the white population like has no idea. It's really, really hard to like white people when you find out the true history and what has been done. And then you focus on the individual, it's like a forgiving thing. And you're like, okay. Like I'll I'll say this. Like I was younger when uh, when I met Fred Rogers and I was experiencing the police brutality and racism and all that and he gave me hope and made me reevaluate the white race. I'm going to be straight. I was about to just cut cut y'all off altogether because mm -hmm. it was nothing but negative shit and going through school to teachers and like how we were treated differently. I'm like, this is some bullshit and I hate the situation that I'm in and I hate being a second class citizen. We are second class citizens if you know it or not, you realize that. That shit has to go away. So yeah, fucking love y'all, man. You know what I'm saying? Y'all my new family. Josh and Sarah, it's a pleasure to meet y'all. Hope to meet y'all in person one day. I know. I, I hope so too. <laughs> Terish, I hope so too. Uh, this has been amazing. Uh, that is a wish that I have for the world as well. And um, if people want to find out more, where can they go? Are you on social or, um, or a website that people can go to? Uh, please go to my website, uh, jaghetto.com. That's J-E-G-H-E-T-T-O.com. And I live on Instagram. I only have time for one social platform, and Instagram's my thing. Go there. I'm always uploading uh, behind-the-scenes little snippets, how-to videos. I'll be doing uh, more workshops. I had a really successful workshop with Handmade Puppet Dreams. Uh, you know, Heather Henson's company. Yeah. Uh, that went really well. So I'm going to start doing those uh, monthly just on awesome. my own. So go ahead, my website, and I always update events on my Instagram. Awesome. My Instagram is popping. Follow me. Follow the man. Follow Jaghetto, <laughs> hey, ladies yes. and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. No, Real pleasure you. to meet awesome. you, man. Hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Additional editing by Josh Marks. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Borgolzia. Additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant. This decentralization program is made possible in part with funds from the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature, administered in Wyoming County by the Arts Council for Wyoming County. To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com.